You do? Good morning. Good morning. We have a few announcements. This Wednesday, we're not feeding the homeless. No feeding the homeless this Wednesday. This is the last Wednesday of the month. We'll get started again next Wednesday. And then after that, the church that we work with has decided that they are going to do every Wednesday. They're not going to take the last Wednesday of the month off because there's a need. They also, we don't just feed the homeless out of that food bank. They have boxes they give to families in the area, families that go to their church that are in need. Um, so I think it's been on their heart to supply that food weekly now. Uh, the next women's study is this Thursday, February 23rd, 6 p.m. You're going to finish the book that you're on, The 12 Extraordinary Women, yes. God willing. The next men's study will be March 4th, 9 a.m., Starbucks. So we've been meeting at Starbucks, and the last, I'd say, like three, four times we meet, somebody comes up and will make a comment to us or something along those lines. We have our Bibles open, or at least I have mine open. We're going through the book. People can hear what we're talking about. So yesterday, this lady comes up in the middle of the study and asks, I really have a lot going on in my life. Can you guys pray for me? So, yes. It seems important. We were taught that it's good to have your Bible on your phone, but it's even better to have it in the book form, in public. Um, it has an impact on people's lives that you just never even know about. So, so that was kind of cool. So our next study is March 4th, next Tuesday night. March 9th? Sure. Okay. Uh, and then sign up for email updates. Send out an email once a week with what we have going on. We also have a calendar on the website, thechurchne.org. Uh, and with that, let's pray. Dear Father, I just thank you for this time to come together. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son, Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of each and every one of our sins. Lord, I ask you to speak to our hearts. I ask that your words would be spoken today, not mine. That you would lead us and guide us through this study. That you would strengthen our faith in you. That you would grow us closer to you, draw us closer to you. Um, that you would grow us with deep roots in the firm foundation of your word, of who you are. Lord, I ask that you would just speak to our hearts, grant us patience and wisdom, lead us and guide us. Through this week, help us to be a light and a witness to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen. So we're going to start in James chapter 4. You don't have to go there. We'll just be for the one verse. But we'll kind of set the context for the rest of our study today. So James chapter 4, verse 17. Remember, it is sin... To know what you ought to do, and then not to do it. And I think sometimes we think the way that God leads or guides or his commandments are all these things that we can't do. Oh, you can't do this, you can't do that. But 
oftentimes it's the things that we're supposed to do that we don't do that are said in our lives. So this will continue on. I think at some point we end up going through the book of Hebrews, but we went through what does it mean to be a Christian last week. I think we'll continue on with that topic this week. Um, So with that in mind, oftentimes we think that the Bible is things that we can't do or God has given us regulations we can't do. Really, it's things that we're supposed to be doing that we are not doing. Um, that that can be the sin that's in our lives when we become believers. And as believers, what does that mean? We talked about this last week. That we believe in our minds who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God, came down to this earth to pay the sacrifice for our sins. He lived a perfect life, sinless life. He was murdered. He died on the cross, but three days later he rose from the dead because he had no sin in his life. Death couldn't hold him, and that he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God. When we believe that in our minds, we believe it in our hearts with a changed life, then that makes us Christians. It's kind of a, a two-part thing, but really it happens all at once. It's this faith in who Jesus is, and that faith should be Evidence in our lives is a changed life, right? We know who Jesus is, and we're so thankful for the work he's done for us that we want to live a new life, a life different from what we used to live. So, with that in mind, as Christians, this is what God's command is to his people. We find this in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 through 40. We're also going to look at it um, in one other place, but a lot of what we're going to go over today, the words will be in red, and that means that those are Jesus' words himself. So if you want to know what does God say about this subject or about this matter, that's what we're going to look at today. It's the words in red, Jesus himself, God himself, what did he tell us when he was here on earth? So Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 So Jesus replied when he was asked what the greatest commandment was, and this was his reply. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. So the entire law, all 600 and some laws in the Old Testament, all the requirements that the prophets gave, um, all the demands that the prophets gave to the people, the messengers from God, the messages that God had for the people, are all summed up in these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Another place that we read this is in Mark chapter 12. Verse 29, Jesus replied, The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. The second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other command is greater than these. So Jesus said it a couple different times in different ways. 
It means the same thing. The most important thing as a Christian is to love God. And what is the love of God? It's sacrifice of ourself, right? Of our time, our talent, our treasure to serve God, to do what he's asked us to do, to put his needs above our own, right? And then we're also told to love our neighbor. And we've been over this, but the na- our neighbor is anyone around us. Jesus defined that. He gives the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Um, and that was to um, really speak to the Jews at that time. The, these despised Samaritans, they were to love them. So we're to love our, our neighbor. Our, we've been told we're to love our enemy. We're to love everyone around us, our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Right? So there's really no one we're not to love. So we're to love God. And we're to love everyone around us. We're to sacrifice our time, our talent, our treasure for everyone around us. Anyone that's in need. Wherever God leads and guides us, that's what we're to do. Right? So remember how we started this. It's sin to know what we ought to do and then not to do it. Right? So keep that in mind. Where we're going to go now is into Revelation chapter 3. We'll be there for a little bit. So if you want to turn there, we can follow along. And again, these words will be in red. These are Jesus' words that he's speaking to his church. So um, during this time, Jesus has a message for different churches. And I think that those were actual literal churches that he was speaking to um, at that time. And they were also churches, um, examples of churches that are in our present time. So we want to read... Revelation chapter 3, starting here in verse 14. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. So there... This message is from Jesus. This is one of the ways each of the times he writes a message to, or a letter to one of these churches, he introduces himself with a, a new um, way or a new title, but it all points back to Jesus. And it points to the many um, roles that Jesus has in our lives and in the creation of this world and this universe that we know it that he is the all-encompassing, almighty, all-powerful God, the omnipresent God, the beginning, the end. He is the everything. So that's how he's introducing it. He introduces himself the same way, but in a different format to all the other churches. So he is everything. So we'll continue on, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. I know all things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, I wish that you were one or the other, but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing, but you don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, and poor, and blind, and naked. So, I think that this is important. I do think that while there was an actual church in Laodicea that was acting this way at the time that this was written, I think this also speaks to many different churches around the world today. And I think that this absolutely can speak to the church here in America. It 
talks about I am rich. So when I look up the United States, um, there's, I guess to put it in context, there's about 200 countries in the world. And when I look up the ranking of um, wealthiest countries per capita or wealthiest countries per household income or whatever metric I want to look at, the United States is in the top 10 on all the lists that I could find. So you're in the top 10 for wealthiest countries um, in the world, and that's out of about 200 countries. So that's quite a few, right? So just by being here in the United States, you're one of the wealthiest people, one of the wealthiest persons in the world. Um, so our churches as church, you know, whether it's a, a church group of people, a church building, a group of people that meet at a building regularly, or God's church, Jesus' church here in the U.S., Jesus' church, or these individual church buildings are among the wealthiest churches in the world. Okay? So, that's who Jesus is speaking to. He says, you say I am rich, I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And oftentimes in the United States, that's how it is. Um, I've heard that when people from countries that are, are not as wealthy as the United States, like from Africa, come over and um, they'll see how our homeless are. And our homeless, um, some of the poorest people in our country are more well-off than some of the most well-off people in their countries. So to put it in perspective, the United States is very well-off, but also causes this sleepiness, this I'm a good person mentality, or I'm a Christian, right? I believe but that's it. And we went over this last week that you can be a believer, but you can go on to do some awful things. And that doesn't mean you lose your salvation because we don't believe that you can ever do that. But God has some pretty strong warnings for those who willingly walk in sin after becoming believers. And it is possible. And we also went over last week that people can say that they're a Christian and truly not be and go on to do these awful things, these wicked things. So there's two ways that that can go down. But here, Jesus is speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church of Laodicea, but they are rich. They have everything they want. They're not in need. And oftentimes when we have everything we want and we really aren't in need and life's just kind of going okay, right? There's some maybe ups and downs, but nothing really major. We're not, our lives are not impacted. We're not fearful of death, persecution. We're not going to starve. Our prayer lives and our relationship with God is kind of lukewarm. Yes, we acknowledge him. We may spend time in his word regularly. We may spend time in prayer with him regularly, but it's not as fervent. It's not as intense. It's not as the, the desire, God, please help me. I'm, in, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm going to starve. I'm in need of just the basic necessities of life those prayers aren't there because there, there isn't that desire, that deep need. But even though we may be one of the richest countries in the world, our churches are the richest churches in the world, we still should have this need. But there's, the problem is that we have to um, continually remind ourselves of how needy we are for Jesus, for the work that he does in our lives as Christians. And we should be pursuing him. So we'll continue on here in Revelation Chapter 3, verse 18. 
So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifferences. So what Jesus is doing, they... They've said already, well, we're rich, we have everything we need, we don't need anything else. You know, We really don't need to have this deep desire for you to do a work in our lives, Jesus. Our lives are comfortable. And when our lives are comfortable, we tend not to turn to God with the intensity that we should. But he's advising them, don't worry about the gold you have here on earth, because that's going to tarnish, right? Moths are going to steal, or moths are going to eat what clothing you have. Thieves are going to steal what gold you have. There's nothing really secure here on this earth, on this life. So don't find value or security in that. But instead, buy gold from him. Buy white garments from him. I think it's interesting how he mentions the white garments. And that we're told that we are washed in the blood of Jesus. Well, if you've ever washed a white garment with blood, it doesn't come out white. Right? It comes out stained. But when you wash yourself in the blood of Jesus... He makes us white. And what does he do? He removes our sins, right? We ask for forgiveness because of his sacrifice on the cross. We can ask him for forgiveness for anything that we have done. And he removes it from our record. Makes us white as snow as if we'd never sinned, right? Isn't that interesting? So we can store up our treasures in heaven. We can buy gold from Jesus. We can ask for forgiveness and be made white as snow, right? We can have these white garments, but only from him and only through his blood on the cross. And then he's asking that we buy ointment for our eyes so that we can clearly see. Ointment from him. So oftentimes, and we've been over this, the enemy um, and ourselves, our own sinful nature, we have a tendency to look at situations through the lens of the here and now, right? We can't see past the, the current problem in our lives, the current situation we're going through, but God has it all the way to the end. He can see through this problem and the next one and the next one in our lives. And when we're buying ointment from him, what he's asking us to do is keep our focus on eternity, keep our focus on heaven, not on the here and now, not on the lens of the problem that's right in front of me and this looks bad and I don't see how I'd ever get through this. God will get us through, right? He'll even give us a peace Jesus' peace is not like the world's peace. It's a peace to go through the conflict, not an absence of conflict. So he'll give us that peace to go through. So then lastly, here in verse 19, he reminds us that he corrects those whom he loves. We're told that, that God chastens those um, whom are his, his children. So when he corrects us, we have to find some joy and comfort in that because that means that we really are his children. We are saved. We there's nothing that anyone can do, including ourselves, nothing the enemy can do to pull us away from God for us to lose our salvation. So Jesus has warned this church that they're lukewarm, that they're comfortable with their wealthy lives, but he's reminding them not to rely on earthly things, but to press fervently into him, even in the comfortable times. So continue on here, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Look, I stand at the door and knock. 
If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. So what Jesus is doing is is he's inviting us to let him into our lives, to have that deeper relationship with him, not this superficial one where he's at the door, I believe in Jesus, I'm good, my life is comfortable, I don't need no more. I'm I'm an American Christian, right? And an American Christian is a dangerous place to be. American Christians are comfortable. American Christians are good with the status quo of life, just kind of going through life with, I have everything I need. I'm not in desperate need of anything. And I really don't need you, God, is what they're saying, right? And that's what he's saying to this church of Laodicea. I really don't need you. Because if I needed you, I would fervently seek after you. I would regularly spend time prayer with you. All throughout the day, I would be in prayer and communication with you. I would want you to guide my life every step of the way. I would want to spend time in your word so I knew what you had for me, what um, situations I may face, how I should handle them, because your word explains all of that to me. All the different situations in life that I could imagine are taken care of right here in your word. You'll walk us through each one if we're willing to get into your word. But when we're comfortable and we're hat we're happy and we're full and secure, we don't have that need. And he's really encouraging this church, and I believe he's speaking to us here in the United States the same way, that even though you're comfortable, you should still be pressing into him. Look, open the door. Let me share a meal with you. Have that deeper relationship with Jesus. Don't settle just for the status quo. The, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. I'm good. I'm saved. I don't need any more. He's asking for a deeper relationship with each one of us. So, and he promises victory. He promises for victory for us to be victorious. Right, that when we pursue a relationship with him, we'll be victorious. And that don't settle for comfortability here on earth, but settle for a life of victory in eternity forever with him. And then, lastly, here in verse. 22. If I get behind on the slides, you're supposed to say something. <laughs> Lastly here, chapter 3, verse 22. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying to the churches. So, Jesus had a message for other churches, and we might go through and study some of those. Um, not here today, but in the future. But anyone with ears to hear must listen to what the Spirit Listen to the Spirit and understand what He is saying. So, there's an expectation for us to understand. And how are we to understand what the Spirit is saying? And I would encourage you that that's through God's Word. Spending time regularly in God's Word. Studying through God's Word. In Bible studies like this, um, coming to church here like this is great. But this is uh, meant to be a study. Meant to um, encourage you. Meant to educate you in God's Word. But really, we're to be studying it ourselves. And we're to be digging deeper in on our own, on a regular basis. We're to be um, fervently seeking after God's will in our lives. And one of the ways that he can show us that is through his work. And through regular communication and prayer, right? Regular talks with God all throughout the day. Where Paul tells us to pray without ceasing. Um, and how does that work? Well, that works. I can be having a conversation or I can be in a meeting 
or I can be traveling or I can be driving and I'm constantly in prayer, either out loud or in my head. I'm constantly communicating with God. God, guide me through this. Guide my steps. Help me through this decision. Every single decision I make in life, really, I should be going to God first. I shouldn't be deciding anything. And people say, well, then you become mindless. No, no, no. You have to be very mindful. And we'll get to that. The next place that we're going to be is in Psalm chapter 1. We're going to go through all of chapter 1 here. All six verses of chapter 1. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked, or stand around with sinners, or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. So delighting in the law of the Lord. And I'd say to you, that's the Bible. Meditating on it day and night. So there's this, just like everything, God has given us a, permit, a command where God has, has led us in a way, and the enemy wants to come against whatever God is doing and pervert it and twist it and manipulate it. And this meditation is one of them. So you look at the Eastern view of meditation, and what is that? That's an emptying of your mind, right? I'm going to empty my mind through this process of meditation. Well, that's the opposite of what God does. That's the opposite of what he says. Here, we're to delight in the law of the Lord. We're to meditate it. We're to study God's word day and night. We're not to empty our minds, but we're to fill our minds with the Bible, with what God leads and guides us to do. Does that make sense? So there's an opposite here. The, the world, the enemy, has come against what God's done. God has set up this meditation. It's not an emptying of your mind, but a filling of your mind, and a filling of your mind with who God is, with his word. And the enemy has come against that and say, no, no, no. The real meditation is to empty our minds, to be mindless, to be thoughtless. But that's not from God. So keep that in mind. So here we're encouraged to study God's word day and night, to meditate on it, to um, not follow around with those who do wicked things, who are sinners, don't join in with the mockers, but to study God's word day and night, to meditate on it, to let it fill our minds and fill our hearts. So continuing on here, Psalm 1, verse 3. They are like trees planted along a riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. So he's continuing to talk about the believers, those who meditate on God's word day and night, those who have filled their lives with God's word, that they bear fruit in every season, that they prosper in all they do. And I would say that that prosper in all you do is not a financial prosperity, not a popularity prosperity, not an American prosperity, but a prosperity of God. And what does God find prosperous when we do what he's asked us to do, when we're faithful to do what he has called us to do, what he's asked us to do. And that's usually the little things in life. We talked about this yesterday in the men's Bible study, that oftentimes God has a small thing for us to do, to pray with someone, to um, help someone out, to um, just smile at someone at the store, right? And are we willing to do that? Are we willing to take little steps of faith like that to be obedient to God? And that's where I think when we're 
spending time in constant communication with God, fervent communication, desperate need to hear from our Father in heaven, to hear from Jesus, to hear from the Holy Spirit, the leading and guiding that we desperately need when we're desperately seeking after that, when we're studying God's word for correction in our lives, for leading and guiding in our lives, for pointing us to Jesus. When we're doing that, that God bears fruit in our lives for each season and that we're prosperous in what we do. And that prosperity is not an American prosperity, but it is an eternal prosperity. That we're being faithful to God and that he finds that to be prosperous. He will make prosperous things come out of that. When we pray with someone that he puts on our heart to pray with, when we open the door and smile with someone at the, at the grocery store, whatever that is that he's called us to do, that he's asked us to do, we take those little steps of faith. He determines that is successful, being faithful to what he's asked us to do. But then he goes on to say here in verse 4, But not the wicked, they are like worthless chaff, scattered by the winds. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked leads to destruction. So here God makes a clear distinction between the path of the, the godly and the path of the wicked. And that when the, the godly are choosing not to spend time with the wicked, not to associate with them, not to be accepting of sin, not to minimize sin. Oh, it's not that bad. I can, I can hang out with these people. I can take part in this action, whatever it is. I can go to this movie with them. You're minimalizing sin. You're taking part in that is what we read about here in verse 1. Not to do that, right? Not to join in with the people that are mocking others, making fun of others. You know, this idea of bullying took place long ago. But God doesn't call it bullying. He just calls it what it is, that it's sin. That we're gossiping or mocking or backbiting or talking about people behind their backs. We're not to do all that. We're to stay away from that. We're to study God's word, get into it, meditate on it, let it fill our minds and our hearts that we are to be fervently um, pursuing a relationship with God, even in times of comfortability. So with that, the last area we'll go to is Luke chapter 9. And this is where we'll finish up today. So Luke chapter 9, starting in verse I was just waiting for you to get to the right page. It's taking you a while. No. <laughs> it's okay. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to the crowd, and this is Jesus speaking. The words are in red. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. So we've heard that before, right? Right? Deny yourself, pick up your cross, follow Jesus. 
So he's making it clear here. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, if, if you want to, to live a life, be that light and witness to others, this is how you do it. You must turn from your selfish ways, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. Verse 24. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you yourself or lost or destroyed? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns, in his glory and in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. So here, Jesus makes it clear that if we want to follow him, we need to deny ourselves of our selfish ways, pick up our cross daily and follow him. Do what he's asked us to do. And how do we know what he's asked us to do? Well, we need to be in communication with him regularly, fervently, like our life dependent on it, like other people's lives dependent on it. We need to be studying his word regularly, fervently, so that we know when situations come up, how do we handle this? What is right? What is wrong? Is this really sin? Um, When others are are tempting us and, and trying to convince us to downplay sin, to minimize sin, Are we willing to stand um, for that? Are we willing to agree with that? Are we willing to stand on God's word? But the only way we can stand on God's word is if we know what it says, if we are regularly in it. Does that make sense? So the men's and women's studies are both going to be on this book, Radical Prayer, here soon. The men have been going through it. We just finished up chapter two, and it's been pretty amazing. One of the things that we went through so this man, this pastor, um, has lived this life, but has found himself as a pastor not having this relationship with God, not having this prayer life with God, not having, um, while he may study God's word for a sermon, he's not studying it for leading and guiding in his life. So this is one of the, one of the things that he says. He says, I became convicted that from that moment on, from the moment he recognized this emptiness in his life, this void in his life that only God could fill. He says, I became convicted from that moment on. My emotions and my decisions needed to be driven by the scripture alone. So think about that. His emotions and his decisions. So his feelings needed to be driven not by his feelings themselves, but by the scripture. His decisions needed to be driven by God's word. By the Bible, right? So his emotions and his feelings needed to be led by the Bible. Allow God to lead in that way. And that prayer must precede my every step. So that was the conclusion that he came to. Um, And this is a man who not only is a Christian, but is a pastor and been a pastor for quite a while and found this emptiness, this void in his life. And I think as Christians here in America, we have that same emptiness, that same void that we may confess God with our mouths, but our hearts are far from him, that it hasn't changed our lives. And the only way it's going to change our lives is when we get into God's word regularly, let him lead us and guide us, and when we're in constant communication with him every minute of every day. Now, I think that the reason we go through the books that we go through or the the studies, the Bible studies we go through, 
oftentimes is God is correcting me. And I wish I could say that, yes, every decision I make on every single day, God leads and I would look to him for. But oftentimes the truth is that while I can go through my morning and read and pray, I can find myself come the end of the day on a stressful day and I haven't talked to God once. I've made lots of decisions all throughout the day, but I haven't consulted on him on any of them, right? And that's what God is convicting us here of um, in this study. Um, I think also in this book that we're going through, that do you really want a life where you are making the decisions and you're not consulting the almighty God, the one that created the heaven and earth, the one that knows the beginning from the end. He knows how it all plays out. Do you really not want his leading and guiding at every single decision you make? And the answer is we should. And we should be pushing for that. We should be striving for that in our own lives. That Jesus should be the single most important thing by far um, with no near second place, right? What's the most greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. What's this love, this self-sacrificing love, right? Denying ourselves, picking up our cross, serving God. God is worthy of our praise, worthy of our worship. He's done so much for us. Shouldn't we live a life to serve him? And in that life of serving him, shouldn't we be pursuing him with everything we are, with everything we have, and with every decision we make? And the only way to do that is to get into his word and to have this practice of praying to him regularly. So many things happen in our lives and instincts kick in, kind of like an athlete. An athlete, you know, your supreme athletes, like a Michael Jordan, I can always remember reading his story. He practiced for hours and hours and hours as from a young boy all the way through. The same thing over and over again. And what happened when he got into the game situation or he got into where he needed to react, his muscles already knew. From this position on the court, this is how much force I need to imply. From this position, I need to do this. This is how I move. His muscles all just did it instinctively because he had practiced it over and over and over again. So in our lives, we come through situations that are difficult and tough and we instinctively act. But when we've practiced over and over and over again to go to God, when those instincts kick in, our first instinct will be to go to God and to ask him for advice, right? But we need to practice that before we get into those situations. So that's the encouragement. That's what it means to be a Christian. Not just a a comfortable life, I'm good, but a fervent life of pursuing God, practicing, turning to him, relying on him for everything we have, everything we are. Then when we're in the moments and we react quickly, our reaction or our instincts will be to go to him, to go to his word, to recall what his word says for leading and guiding in this moment, to ask him for clear direction. God, help me through this decision, right? That's what it means to be a Christian. Not an American Christian. American Christians are often the Laodicea Christians. Not a good place to be. Jesus says he wants to spit you out of his mouth. With that, that's where we end. Do you have any questions? Yes? And one comment. One comment? Okay. Okay. I'm thinking, do we have any extra Bibles, like like ones that I can use? I'm sure we do. Well, if we don't, we can just order some. I'm thinking... I know Ms. McGough has her library thing, and I'm thinking we put some Bibles in there.
Oh, you think so? Mm-hmm. You'll have to ask Miss McGough if you can do that, if you can donate some. Yes. Also, I'm going to bring my Bible to school on Tuesday. I think that's a great idea. I almost said Monday. I think that's a great idea. You would be surprised just the impact that God's Word has, just having other people see it. I mean, we've always been taught that. Ed taught that a lot um, up in Aurora, the importance of having just the book, the Bible with you wherever you go. It's great you have it on your phone, but, you know, I'm, and I'm never fully surprised, but the impact that it has for people and the comments that people make or the, how people are drawn to it. Since I've got to travel a lot, oftentimes I take, well, always I take my Bible with me and I always pull it out at some point on the flight and read through it. And you'd be surprised at the comments that people have or, and then nothing major. I mean, like people are, you know, giving their lives to Jesus in that moment or anything like that. But God is obviously working on their heart, you know. So, so I think that's a great idea. A great thing to do. Take your Bible with you to school. Mm-hmm. Any other questions? Uh, no. No? Any questions for you? Me? Yeah, you. Yeah. What about you, Trey? No? Okay. Joel has a question, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, let's pray then. Dear Father, I just thank you for this day. I thank you for this study. I thank you for the leading and guiding that you give to us. I ask that you would encourage us, that you would speak loudly to each one of us throughout this week. Remind us of who you are. Remind us of your greatness. Remind us of your son, Jesus. Remind us um, of what you've called us to do. And you've called us to um, not just believe in you, but to rely on you for everything we have. Everything we are is because of you, from you, through you, only only by you. I ask you would speak to each one of our hearts. You would lead us and guide us. I ask you would um, continue to bring healing to my mom, that you would lead and guide the doctors in their treatment plans. Um, I ask that you would watch over Pam and Scott, that you would provide comfort, and I ask that you would just provide healing to Pam in a way that only you can. May all the glory go to you for this. That you would um, just bring a healing to her here in, in these last moments. Lord, I ask that you would watch over the Coffee family, that you would give them patience, um, wisdom, forgiveness, that you would draw them closer to you during this time, that you would um, speak to Pat, that you would open her ears and her heart to you. Lord, I ask you would watch over Greg, that you would bring healing to him, that you would guide the doctors um, and their treatment plan for him, that you would open his eyes, his heart, his everything he is to you, and he'd receive you. Lord, I ask you to watch over um, Kathy. You would guide the doctors. You would bring healing to Kathy's life, wisdom to the doctors and their plans. I ask you to watch over Matt's knees, and that you would watch over Joey and his knee, that you would guide it, um, guide him through the surgery type, that you would just bring a healing and a relief from pain that only you can. Lord, I ask you to watch over Christina and her heart. Continue to guide the doctors. I ask you to continue to bring healing to Bonnie and guide the doctors. You would watch over Ming. You would guide him. You would strengthen him, encourage him. You would watch over all those in the PTSD, EMDR, counseling. 
You would give them the strength and the courage to see it through to the end. You would bring healing through those treatments. Lord, I ask you to watch over the Sheriff's Department, the Police Department, that you would protect them physically, protect them spiritually, protect their families. Um, you would just lead them and guide them, keep them safe in everything that they see and all that they're involved in. I ask you would guide us to a church that we can come alongside and support wherever that may be. I thank you for all that you do, all the ways that you guide and provide for us um, here in this nation. But I ask that most importantly, you would wake this nation up, that you would just let a revival fall across this land. You've done it many times before, and I'm just asking that you would do that again. And there would be many that would come to know you here in these last days. It's in Jesus' name I pray all these things. Amen.